Hello everybody and welcome to Documentation Not Included, a tech industry podcast presented by DNI Stream, the live knowledge repository for software professionals. It is Thursday at 7 o'clock p.m. GMT. 7 o'clock p.m. <coughs> doesn't sound right that, but it is. It is now GMT. It, I think the clock's changed last weekend. Um, we are live on twitch.tv forward slash DNI Stream. I'm Chris Seawalk and today I'm joined by a regular guest that we haven't had for a while, Josie Howarth. Hi Josie. Hi everyone. Doing? Chris, can you do me a big favor? What? Take a deep breath. I think that what? was one solid breath that you did that whole intro. That's how I, that's how I roll. I'm used to oh. it now. <laughs> well, I have been put in my place. Oh, man, have I missed this. Hi, everyone. Massive hugs and big ass. Big ass. Wow, listen to me. I'm already off on the roll. Hello, giant hello to everybody who is in Twitch chat and joining us live yeah, we welcome you all to get in- involved with our conversations on the show because we are live. Your comments are always welcome, and sometimes we'll read them out, especially if they're poignant and they're interesting. And if you have questions, ask. We are here to help. We're here to teach, and we're here to educate. Indeed we are. And Josie didn't. She was very modest there. But for those of you who are new and, and don't know, Josie is actually a co-host. She's just been off ill for a little bit of a, uh, for a little bit of a while. So, you know, she's, uh, she's back now and hopefully back with us uh, for a... Uh, a long period now okay so before we got going let's do our icebreaker i can't say you'll have my guts for gas because you'd have reminded me wouldn't you if uh, if i didn't do this this week um so oh, yeah I, I very quickly scrabbled this together because i've been working up until about two seconds ago and it's it's one of them one of them weeks at the moment so anyway um josie what subjects do you think should be taught in school that aren't which level of schooling doesn't matter don't need to be that specific any any subjects you think are not taught in school that you you feel should be taught for whatever reason it doesn't matter what the reason is okay i'll have to go from the perspective of i was given an american education which is actually very different in some respects to a british education despite the fact that they're similar and i'm also going to have to go with the fact that i know that this kind of curriculum exists however it is not spread out enough. It's not expanded to enough places. And to me, it's the try, break, fix. It is a methodology of teaching where you let the students themselves come to you and go, you know, I'm really curious. What happens when I drop a balloon filled with paint from a roof? Okay, well, what are you trying to prove? What are you looking at? Why are you interested in it? I want to teach children to be excited about the learning process itself by getting them involved in picking the questions, picking the subject matter, picking the tests, picking the way to do things. Maybe someone wants to do a puppet show. Well, do you know one of your friends who happens to be really good at art? Maybe you're really good at talking or, you know, putting people into that kind of perspective, a very hands-on learning, but the curriculum for the most part, is designed by the children and what interests them. You can present a couple of different topics, but it's letting them explore everything. So is, is that like problem solving, would you say? Or is that a bit, it's a bit... A... It's, a, it's a bit of everything. I think one of the most detrimental things I see in education a lot right now is people aren't taught how to learn. Hmm. Because you, in in the rigid stricture of school, you are given a very fixed curriculum and you must meet certain criteria to pass certain tests, which realistically speaking, unless you are driving toward a particular career goal or something like that, is meaningless to you. And it's, I it's... don't know many people who got involved in science who cared about certain subjects and others who are like really driven by it. So. Education is dictated, really, isn't it? More than anything, it's dictated out of textbooks, and we we go with that. Um, what when when we go to interviews for jobs, for example, we we uh, sometimes think that we have to give textbook answers, and that's kind of where it comes from. In that we are taught from textbooks. Um, mm-hmm. but that's probably the worst thing you can do in an interview. Uh, we've got some people I... actually um, suggesting things in chat already. But go on, Josie. we do. Well, that's that's the thing. I think. The curriculums that we have are kind of good. Get, let people know what options are, but let the kids invest where they want to spend their energy. Nobody I know learns the same. Even if they're, quote unquote, the same kind of learning column of the many different types, depending upon which scientific study has come out in the past month, it doesn't matter. Nobody learns the same. But one thing that is not taught well is group work, self-motivation, direction, passion, 
and a desire to know more, just to know more. Mm. And that right there are to me the foundation of what makes the people who walk out of school going, I have an idea and it just might change the world. And they have the tools already to do that. A lot of people have that though. We all, in some way, in some little way, we all have an idea that we think could change the world, but we don't know how to execute it. We don't know how to put that in practice. Well, I was being very broad in that kind of of a thing. It's, it's, it's more, it's more along the lines of, for example, if I, if I had followed the career path that I was going to do in school, I would have been a marine biologist. I'd have been a solicitor in the army. That's what I would have done. I, I was very and, specific that, but <laughs> <laughs> I love the fact that it's a solicitor in the army. Yeah, yeah. You know, not not the British Navy, the British Army. Yes, the British right? Army. But you know, if I had been given options for the things that I would have done, I probably would actually be writing music for whales and dolphins. For whales and dolphins, or for them, from whale because and I had, rises. I had, yeah, I had music majors along with um, science and things like that, and I was really fascinated. I probably would be someone writing operas and dubstep for whales. Brilliant! I'd, I'd have loved to do something like that, but um, it was wasn't. I, I got into music much, much later in my life. I was in my mid twenties before I really, really got into music and those regular listeners will know I used to run a recording studio and I, you know I used to I used to record bands and do all kinds of things um in the music world in the local kind of music scene and I loved yeah. it but I also hated it in a little in a in a in a way as well um anyway let's let's address all this chat in chat so um, yeah. Thrashock who started uh, following us last week he said how to be a grown up I think that's this a- is an interesting one because Voltrack follows it with, you know, things like how to do your tax returns, what to consider when getting insurance, you know, basically how to do adulting. Yeah. And it's interesting because I had that in my education. And this is why I said, where are we at in this? I actually, uh, through my age 12 to when I graduated high school, uh, I went to school year round. I didn't really get the typical breaks most people did. I am. And my summer program was dedicated to things like how to balance a checkbook Mm. or um, how to read the quote unquote terms and services and why you should never cut off that tag on your pillow. (laughs) I was given what I would call practical life skills. Interestingly enough, I use none of that now. Yeah. Well, I don't use much of the things that I learned academically. Yeah, well, the, that, the practical life skills I had, I use none of it now because by the time I'm at the point where I'm at now, so much has changed. And it's not about the technology that's in use. It's about how interest rate is calculated. It's about how you actually, you know, pick your 401k if you're in the United States, if you want to go that way. or I, Like things have actually changed from what I was taught. And it means that if yeah. I wanted to well, stay on top of it, I'm like... But this is why I hire people to do it one, for me. One of the things I used I'm to do in, in my recording <laughs> studio was um, was record um, a person that did training. He was—I don't think he was—he was probably char- He was probably registered, but he wasn't an accountant. But he did training for accountants, so he, he had all the qualifications that accountants needed. And that was that ran my studio. The invoices that I invoiced that guy for, because there was so much legislation change every year that I would have to. It was really boring. I liked it. It was quite mechanical and a th- therapeutic in a way. And I actually learned a lot about business as well. I learned a lot about changes that were coming in mm. firsthand. And it was good quality stuff as well. It had a good voiceover uh, person who did, who did the work for it. And, you know, it was, it was just really quite interesting in a way, but boring in another way, you know. Um, so, yeah, so, so Thrashock then followed up with taxes, which we kind of covered there. And then Volstretz also said um, how to do tax returns, uh, what to consider when... Mm-hmm. When getting insurance, basically, yeah, how to how to li- how to live. Yeah, um, for yep, me, I brought him up. <laughs> you I'm, may have missed me missing, or may have missed I'm there. I'm not sure what I would um, what I would say because I've thought I, I, again. I looked at this up just before the show, and I hadn't really thought that much about it. I think practical life. Um, you know me. I li- I'd love to live in a log cabin in the middle of nowhere. Yeah. And I think yes, you would. I think teaching kids or teenagers 
how to survive in that kind of situation. You know, I went to cadets, army cadets. I went to, um, be, uh, what's it called? Scouts, you know, that kind of thing. And I loved that kind of thing. But back then, it wasn't necessary to do that. And it's it's certainly even less necessary now. But when the EMPs drop, I'm telling you, when the EMPs drop, everyone will need to know. And the, the zombie apocalypse hits at the same time. Then everyone will need to know how to survive. And I think it will teach people, teach kids, the value and how much work they have to put into things to actually get a result. And and maybe teach them a little bit about how lucky they are, I suppose, to, to live in a world where everything is available. Information is available at the drop of a hat just by log- looking at the, something that's sat in your pocket. That's still, when I think about the fact that I've got a phone that does... It's still, I mean, I'm, I'm technical, you know? It still amazes mm-hmm. me that the world is at my fingertips, quite literally. Think about it. In our lifetime, do you remember when it actually became really popular to have CDs and you were waiting for the next year's version of Encyclopedia Britannica? Yep. And then you were like, oh my gosh, what changed? What was new? Like, what was exciting? But the thing is, I agree. I think practicality needs to be done, but I think the definition of practicality has to be broken up. And I think yeah. that we... I think that like if we went with my model and your model together, those who really show an interest and a passion for being outside should go off and learn it. Come back and teach the students who are more interested in, say, sitting around and learning how to uh, write music or tell stories. Um, <laughs> false rats just wow. False rats just come. I'd love I'd love to see nowadays kids at how to gut a goat and prepare it lesson. That'd be brilliant. I I agree. I'm a little bit squeamish myself, but I would do it if I needed to, you know? Well, there's a huge difference between, oh my gosh, if I don't get this done, you know, the world is going to end and I'm going to die versus learning a a skill just to learn a skill. There there, there tends to be a mindset of, you know, we all have the fight flight thing. I think what is fascinating to me is the fact that having, even in the technology world, the further we go in time, the more we're abstracted from what gives us these amazing tools so in school we are or even like you say with this we have this in the palm of our hands we used to only be thankful if we had you know a t88 calculator or something like that you know we were really excited about a calculator with solar panels on it mm-hmm. that was the kind of stuff we were given but if you go back further you've got people who only had abacuses And yet it's doing the same kind of functionality, but we're starting to abstract further and further and further away. You as a programmer, you don't write machine code. No, no. You're you're abstracted from it. I'm looking. But I also also speak to juniors that uh, that do, that that were born in 1996 or 2002 or, you know. I feel so old. Yeah, I know. I'm starting to feel I'm not even that old I suppose I'm getting on but I don't feel it I certainly don't feel it but I speak to I speak to like juniors that come in and start working with these fifth sixth generation languages and start working in frameworks that are doing all of the heavy lifting for them you know react Mm. and angular and you know fair enough there's still a lot of learning to involve but they almost skip the fundamentals. They almost skip over learning what software is and how to architect it and how to what the actual software process is. You know, you can't just mm. drop out of university and then suddenly be a senior programmer on you know fifty, sixty grand a year or something. It doesn't work that way. You have to get the experience before you can you can get. Don't that. buy into those programs, people. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> um, but yes, I know Yusuf. I'm not directing this at you. Not not at all. No. the 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 point is, is that I've forgotten my point. We're we're rambling on. We've we've spent so long. We've spent 50 minutes doing How the icebreaker. I, I can, the thing is, I can actually <laughs> I can actually link it back to this though, because what we've just discussed is what we want to see in an educational platform, which I think is honestly a really cool topic that should be just sat and you know debated about forever. But our actual topic of discussion is about hitting the ground running. And the thing is, to me, if you had a really good, solid platform of educational foundation to make your choices or to build your decision-making process upon, then you would have tools to help you be able to hit the ground running if 
there happened to be a break. So as pointed out earlier, yes, I had to take time off because of illness. And that meant not just dropping DNI, unfortunately, it meant dropping work as well, which means I had to pull back from the work I was doing for my clients. I had to full on stop projects right in the middle of things and even say no to projects that were coming up and redirect them to someone else because I could not take care of it. However, I'm back. I'm better, but I've got more limitations than I did before. So this means that I'm coming back into projects that I haven't seen in like three or four months. Like things are in that time frame. And all of us know what it's like to pick up a piece of code you haven't touched in six months, right? Not just, you know, a not project just code, never but seen. knowledge, you know, in general. Yeah, ex- ex- and, and in our industry, how much actually changes in six months? Just saying. Angular gets so, seven releases. Um, you know, we have an entire we have an entire new framework that's come out and completely replaced Vue. Like, I mean, you can go crazy with something like this, but in this particular case, we're going to be talking about what it's like to get back on track because that is really hard to do. You can overwhelm yourself, you can frustrate yourself, and my gosh, you might just like have seen the light and gone, oh, I was doing the project wrong to begin with. Oops. You know, because you had time to think because you weren't in that drive of just living and existing. So we are doing a show called Hit the Ground Running. And I've got a question for Chris. Since you ice broke, it's my turn to hit you with the hard softball. No, hardball question. What is your biggest fear when coming back to a project? And what do you do to prevent that fear from manifesting? Well, coming back to a project, um, Mm -hmm. I have to be honest with you, it is a very, very, very long time since I came back to a project. So I might have to answer this a little bit different. Because of the way that I work, um, I enter projects either at the very start of them, and I am there Mm -hmm. for, you know, greenfield projects where I am there from the start, and I've got lots of um, input and lots of kind of control over what I'm doing or I will enter in the middle of a project it could be at the end it could be at the end as they're struggling to complete things or it could be in the middle when they need extra resources for something or it could just be they need a specialist for something in particular so I'm gonna have to answer it as in I'm entering into a new project um that's fair enough my biggest fear is by far that requirements aren't clear that people don't know what they want that people have um miscalculated and want to you know they just want magic to happen to get the the project finished when i enter in the middle of a project at the beginning i have very very few fears because of my experience but yeah requirements not being clear i suppose that's that's that applies at the beginning sometimes as well though thinking about it well see that to me that is um a fear throughout the entire process Simply because um, no matter how much we may try to be on the ball for everything, we can be hit by something completely out of left field. Um, I've received RFPs for things where uh, it was very clearly stated that they wanted this, 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 and this. We get into everything with the project and we had to institute a contract change because from way up on high, someone saw something really cool on YouTube and decided that had to be a part of things. So scope change and that changed the investigation process. And it was almost like restarting the project all over again. But like to me, that's that's a a big part of um, bringing on people who are one knowledgeable about something, or being willing to say if we don't have knowledge, we have to realistically look at research and development of some kind. R and D is important. So everything you've so, mentioned right yeah. there is is stuff that's happening in one of the projects I'm involved in at the moment. But mm. we handle it using, or rather, because I am. Uh, providing this as a service, I am teaching the team how to handle um, that kind of thing in an agile way using the agile methodologies. Everything changes, as as take that said. Everything changes, and <laughs> yes, sorry, I'm that old, and um, they uh, and and that's sad as well because I know I know take that, but. Um, 
change is the only constant, isn't it? And I don't know who said that, but whoever did say it was very, very wise. You know, it, it's something that is inevitable and will always happen, even to the end of the project. So work in small increments, accept change, and make sure that you uh, cater for it. In, in not just accept it, but you also um, plan for change. Plan for the fact that in two weeks' time, what was true two weeks ago is no long, you know, is no longer true. We might have new people, new requirements coming from stakeholders. We might not. We might discover something during the process of looking into some code that somebody else has written, or we've forgotten how we wrote it in the first place, and we look at it and go, "Oh, didn't think about that." There's actually or... another three or four days worth of work that we haven't planned for, or even more than that. It could be, "Damn, this is a rewrite." You know, well, see, this is the thing. I mean, you're talking about a situation um, where you have a little bit more control. Let me throw in natural disasters. Pandemic happens. Projects instantaneously shut down due to lack of funding for whatever purpose and or reason. No control over this at all. Most companies are making the best judgment calls that they can for themselves based on the information that's being given to them. Some people are lucky enough to still be in teams. Some people are furloughed. Hmm. Some people are coming back from furlough right now due to some of the governmental changes here in the United Kingdom. Now, they're coming back. They're coming back to some projects. They're going to be coming back to things that they haven't seen in a long time. Hmm. You know, how do you handle something like that? Or, for example, you're doing fantastically swell and wonderful. You decide to go camping and you go decide to do boar hunting, Chris. And all of a sudden you're snowed in for seven weeks. You're happy as a clam, but you come back and people are like, we need to know where we're at with these projects and we need to keep things going, yada, yada. There's really weird events. I went extreme there. Do you get the impression that I go boar hunting? (laughs) do Do I come across like I go boar hunting? You know what it is? I was playing RimWorld earlier today, oh, and game. there was a boar, and I was looking at it, and it just happened to cross my mind when I mentioned a log cabin, because I'm currently building with wood. Point being, though, unplanned for, unforeseeable, unplannable events occur, and nothing has proven that more to me than the health issues I've had, and then seeing this pandemic hit the world. Yeah, There's got to be a way for us. Uh, most of us would look at this and go, there's a lessons learned to be had here at, a, at the end of a project where we go, we should probably plan for these kinds of really strange, weird events. But you can't plan for everything. You just can't. No, of course. And, and, and so, again, we, I go, you're, talking, you're just talking about the problems that in a, in a project sense, at least, that Agile solves. Because we have, we have retrospectives. Like, you yeah. have retrospectives at the end of every... If you do it right, mm-hmm. you have a retrospective at the end of every sprint. I'm actually having one tomorrow after much um, uh, kind of prodding to try and get people to say, right, let's have it on the Friday when we finish the sprint rather than on the Monday. Uh, so mm-hmm. we've, got to have a full, we've got a full day of meetings if we do that because we have to do planning as well. But anyway, the retrospective and the review is about looking at what we've done the review is about looking at what we've done and presenting it. And then the retrospective is about learning from what we've changed, not just talking about the negative things, what went well as well, what has went well, what has, um, what didn't go so well, and how can we improve it? And it's not about blaming. It's about looking at it as a team, looking at it as, as a, a group of people who want to achieve a goal, a result. Mm-hmm. And that's what a project is really at the end of the day. It is, and you unfortunately, never... egos get in the way every single time. Yes, I mean, again, it depends but on it... depends on the people involved, but generally, yes, it does yeah. happen. But the pro- the point is, is that if you try and look at it, and it sounds whenever I can hear myself talk when I say these things sometimes, and I, it sounds hairy fairy. It sounds like it sounds like it's all magic, you know, and only people who believe this will happen to you. You're not living <laughs> in the real world type of thing. But you know what? Genuinely, if you if you stick to a plan and you stick to trying to improve on what you've done badly and mm. accept that doing something badly isn't the worst thing in the world, that change happens and that things are going to get in the way and change what your expectations are, as long as you are willing to accept that and willing to act upon it, you will start making progress and you'll actually be a lot happier as a person well, as well. This, see, that's the thing. That, that is kind of sort of the natural part of life. However, realistically speaking, that is not 
an easy thing for people to pick up. And if you hear whining, I apologize. My husband just came in from the grocery store and Belle is pissed because he hasn't stopped to kiss her. So she literally screams. <laughs> so I apologize for that. Um, but, you know, when it comes down to it, there are there is a mental set of things that you can follow, like you're suggesting, except change. If you are so, you know, in tune to being static, you will break, you will not bend, you will not flow like water. You will not have that zen, tranquil moment of going, this really sucks, but we still have to deal with it. So let's go. Mm -hmm. You know, there's nothing wrong with begrudgingly just kind of going, yeah, well, I'm back onto the track again. However, I think there's also practical things that could be looked at as well. Well, I mean, that leads to practical are, things, though, doesn't it? That's the point. It's. I think in some cases, yes, but I, I think... As long as the practical thing isn't sweeping it under the rug, because that can oh. also happen. And that does uh. happen. You know, people will ignore it and push it away down the track until it becomes a problem, whereas I'm a bit more proactive and defensive in the way that I plan, and I try and cover yeah. cover those scenarios. But sometimes it's more it's more pragmatic to, to do that and say, right, let's not sweep it under the rug, but let's put a sticking plaster on it for now, get it working. We've actually done this quite a lot in, in one of these projects that I'm talking about. Um, let's stick a sticking plaster on it, get it working, make sure we're not blocking and hurting anybody else's progress, and then we'll look at the proper solution in a week's time or, or whenever we've got to, you know time mm. to do that. And again, there's nothing wrong with that as long as you all accept that, because uh, I keep saying all, because even people like yourself and I who are self-employed who run our own businesses work with other people there are always other people involved oh, in the process yeah. as well yeah oh that's the thing the the moment you bring anyone into a or the moment you start a project even if you're just starting it yourself you are literally in a place where you should have some kind of structure because i mean i don't know about you but how many projects have we all started but never finished or only gotten part way through and then had to stop for whatever reason and or purpose uh, i mean two at the moment on github just two though three yeah, if you but, include the dni website which is just an ongoing thing yeah but see i still miss subnet oh, four including subnet <laughs> to me, that is such an amazing Five. thing, and it's. Uh, I started writing my own oh. ORM about twenty years ago. Um, that's not. No, I dropped that because Entity Framework came out. Something better basically came out. Do you know what I was working on when I was a young, impressionable, idealistic little person with a coding experience, where I thought I was cool as pie? You know, starting that curve of knowledge, kind of a thing. I was investigating how to do an OODB. An OODB. Mm -hmm. What's an OODB? Instead of, a, instead of a relational database, I was looking at doing some form of object-oriented databasing or seeing how things could... Like, I was in some weird, crazy stuff. Okay. Um, I, I'm pretty certain that was a decision I made when I was drunk in university. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> but... you know, NoSQL database is a kind of object oriented to an extent. Every document kind in them of... there is a doc is an object in a way, but it's not. The one problem with NoSQL stuff is that it's uh, document stores in general. In my eyes, at least, is that there's a lot of maintenance involved in them, but that they've got a specific use case. Anyway, we're yeah. Getting but too my point technical. is, yeah, my point is though, we all have tons of projects that we have looked at, but. When it comes to people who are involved in freelancing or people who are literally coming back from furlough or people who in the future may listen to us and go, you know, I'm just now getting back into X project, whether it's a personal project or a work-based project or, you know, anything else. What tips would you give them? Like, what would you say? I mean, yes, there's planning for it. There's a mental state for it as well. But... I almost feel, and I've had, at least this is the, the approach I've taken coming back into the work that I'm doing. I've redone a kickstart meeting. I've gone yep. back because the time I've taken off, um, it's proven to me that when I came back, my clients were like, project change, scope change. We actually had a better idea. We had time to think about it. I'm like, okay. And it's actually developed into a different project. It's, it's, it's a, literally almost like we closed the previous project and restarted it. Now, in that in my work, that works. Mm -hmm. 
because mm. it's easy for us to go, this is exactly where we were because we have the documentation. This is exactly where we were at because we have the repos. This is exactly where we're at because we have whatever media or um, content period was there when I stopped. But coming back, it literally feels because so much time has passed that I've had to re-kickstart. I had to reconnect. I had to make certain we were all on the same page. I had to make certain that I remembered correctly what the purpose and everything was because something may have changed. And every single client I have spoken to who, when I'm working with them, are part of my team, has had something change because they're impacted by everything that's going on or they've had a new idea or whatever. And like I said, for me, it was just that whole reconnection, sit down and it's almost like that. What were we doing? Why were we doing it? And does anything need to change? Which is part of the process you were talking about. So that goes back to the initial thing, my initial uh, response to your very first question, which wasn't really anything to do with the subject, but requirements. Well, it was to do with the subject, actually. It wasn't the icebreaker, I'm thinking. So, yeah, requirements. That comes down to requirements. And sticking your head back in, you know, back into a project, mm-hmm. you need to understand where other people are because the world keeps turning, you know, while you're you're oh not there. Oh, my God, yeah. Um, people need to understand, you know, what you need to learn or what you need to pick up as well. It depends on what you're doing as well, I suppose. And it, again, goes back that. to that. We've got this... I keep going on about it. I'm, I'm going to end up being a, a scrum evangelist, I think, by the end of this. But um, I, the the scrum process gives you a planning meeting at the beginning of every single two week period or four week period, and that planning meeting is is time to bring new people on as well into the team. Bring people in and go right. These are, this is kind of what we're planning to do. These are the jobs that you can get on with. These are the small incremental pieces of work that you can you can kind of slowly get yourself into the team and get yourself into mm-hmm. the, the process. It's the same thing, you know, having that meeting at the very beginning. I'm I'm not a fan of meetings, but I am a fan of those kind of ceremonies, you know, those those focused, time-boxed elements that, that make you focus on the project and what is required for it. See, I, I think I'm a fan of meetings if they're purposeful. Yes. If a meeting is set just so that a meeting can be set for the next time there's a meeting, get out. Yeah. Just get, I, I, I've actually seen that. Oh, my God. I actually have that happen to. No, no. I No, that's a waste of everybody's time. It is. Absolutely. And, and, oh, it's even worse when you have resources, you know, all of those fantastic people trying to get the work done for you. And they're being pulled into meetings where they have to be there. It is a requirement for some ungodly reason. And they don't say anything. Yep. So they sit there and they're not connecting with the people who they're supposed to be working with for a particular part of code or a particular part of the development process in general. They are gone and yet they're still supposed to be doing the work at the exact same time it is so disruptive please if you're a manager stop it i know and then this is one of the things that i try and teach my clients as well is that yes we all need to have meetings but the people who attend those meetings need to be not just there for the sake of it it's it's the individuals yes there might need to be a higher level discussion from with stakeholders about the direction of the product or whatever you're mm. working on um, and that's fine you know that's outside of the development process but you do not need generally to include developers in that just because you're talking about the software that they're writing that isn't what it's for that gets fed down the chain into the process into the team into the product owner in in scrum's world um and mm-hmm. and that gets disseminated into prioritizing the requirements, and that's essentially it. the The team, the people who are right, the the it, the people who are doing the work and not coming up with necessarily the ideas, they're good at doing the work. So let them focus on that element of it. You know, have yes. I mean, we I said we have stand ups every day generally, and I think stand ups are if they run properly and they're not they don't run into hours of Discuss, you know, discussing requirements, etc. That is not the purpose of no. Th- and a stand-up is about ten to fifteen minutes of basically aligning yourself with the other members of the team and figuring out if you're blocking them and if they're blocking you from doing your work. It's not to update each other. It's not to mm-hmm. uh, update the product owner or anybody else, any stakeholder. It's it's none of their business what goes on in that meeting. If there's anything that's 
too detailed, you need to discuss that together and then feedback once you've come up with the requirements and you've written, you've done the work to the team later on. The review and the retrospectives are about that. And I think the more I do agile and I do it properly, when I don't, when I'm not doing it properly in a team, I basically I'm I I retort retort. That's not the wrong right word. I reject it. You know, I, I, if any people, I will start being an ass about going to meetings. If people are inviting me to meetings and they're not valuable to me or to the people that I'm working with, I will stop going to them. And people will tell me off for it and I'll go, sorry, but my time's important. You know, I need to be getting on with my work. I need to be producing things that we've agreed. We're, we're lucky in a place where we can do that. Not everybody can, no, which I, is and I see an that unfortunate a lot. thing. I the amount of wasted time. Uh, but that we're, we're actually sidetracking. We're, we we're veering away from hitting the ground running. So you mentioned the fact that in your particular situation, you're either brought in from the beginning for a project or you're brought in in the middle of a project. What differences have you found in that? Well, at the, the beginning of a project, generally some design has been done, as in some ideas are on the table, but in terms of the actual design of the system and the um, architecture of what needs to be written and the split, you know, the, the distribution of work and that kind of thing, that's not really been decided. Quite often, I get brought in before even resourcing and planning um, is on the table. I will be the one who says, right, at a high level, I, you probably need a project manager to do this price, you know, costing and um, uh, and resourcing properly, but generally at a high level, you're going to need about six people. It's going to cost you roughly this kind of, you know, current market rates. It's going to cost you roughly kind of this. And that's the difference between hitting a project in the middle. If I come in in the middle of a project, I am generally a resource or a specialist for something very specific, like the team isn't performing or the CTO needs some mentoring or something like that. I mean, it depends. I, I take all kinds of work on, so it really does depend. But if I go in as a, a doer, then I, I'm literally hitting the ground running, and that's when the How? when the agile really takes off because I can I can get involved with those meetings and I can ass assimilate and absorb. Um, it's the, with the ceremonies, I mean, I can absorb that information slowly. I can speak to people as I need to as well. Um, and I can start doing little pieces of work and get into the floor. If I'm expected to just go, right, this is a project. Again, I've had projects where they've just went, right, here you go. Here's a repository. It's yours now. Um, what are you going to do with it? <laughs> you know, we want we want it to work. We want it to de be deployed here. And then I'll have to go, right, okay, I need a little bit of time to look at this. This is all chargeable work. Don't forget, I'm not just going to look at this for free. Yeah. This is all chargeable work. I go through the whole, exactly like I do any other starting project, I go through the whole requirement gathering process. I go through the whole uh, planning and design stages, and then I'll essentially start doing work uh, as agreed. If they want something quick, then oh, quite often I'll push it away. Because if they have if unrealistic expectations, i.e. bad requirements bad understanding of what's required and what's needed it's probably not worth my time i'm, I'm okay. lucky to be able to do that so, so in, in your situation then the real differences between hitting the ground running at the start of a project versus hitting the ground running in the middle of the project nine times out of ten is really that whole research and design and planning phase yeah pretty much pretty much do you feel that there is anything from that research design and planning phase that you use in the I'm coming in the middle of the project to help you be successful at hitting the ground running when you come in the middle of a project? I mean, there's always, I tend to find that all of those stages happen anyway with myself, but they're mm -hmm. much more condensed because everybody else on the project is generally already at you know 100% speed. Um, mm. And I'm the one who's kind of lagging behind, but I, I tend to pick things up fairly quickly anyway. But there's always a requirement stage. There's always a right. Okay, so I see what you're doing here. Uh, learning stage, research, figuring out how they do things and where I fit in, and if there's any way that I can just take a chunk of the work and go off and do it. You know, if it's um, what's the word, modularized or compartmentalized or anything like that, that's great. 
I'll be honest, I don't take that much camp that work like that much on these days. It's like my roofer, um, my roofer's been fixing a leak in my chimney and they've got a problem with the chimney. It's still leaking. Um, as of today, it's been hoying it down and uh, they wouldn't normally take that kind of work on. They would usually take on greenfield work. Right. Um, you know, i.e., okay, so we can't really help you with your leak because we haven't done the roof. And it's the same kind of thing for me. I tend to shy away from that kind is of that, is that is that because it's a learned thing though? Is it the yeah. kind of like back in the day you would have just jumped in and been challenged and excited, but now you're just like, I can't be bothered? Well, I wouldn't say can't be bothered. If <laughs> if I, I if, if I see a project and I speak to somebody and I get a vibe that their work ethic is good and they're not just trying to resource because a lot of the time for contractors um people are trying companies are trying to resource because they think throwing more people at it will get the job done quicker and it won't Mm. and that's the problem if i if i smell naivety if i smell um uh unrealistic expectations if i smell negativity you know people who are blaming previous contractors or things like that it's just not worth the stress for me. I'm at a point in my life where I'd rather just say no and cut back okay. on the groceries for a few months, you know, then... Okay, we'll see. You're at that luxury point. Yeah. So for those, like, for example, this junior that you've got, um, you have a junior who is basically learning at your feet. Mm-hmm. You know, this is one of the things we love about doing DNI is we're trying to share whatever we can to anyone because... We want to learn from you and we hope you learn from us. What advice would you give them if they did jump in at the middle of a project? What tips do you feel would really help them? Well, like, is it learning to ask the right questions? Yeah, don't panic. Is it? For the, the, a lot of the time with juniors <laughs> as well, there's a confidence a issue. Take a towel with you for your first meeting, <laughs> yeah. you know? There's a there's a confidence issue a lot of the time as well with with inexperienced developers they feel inadequate or they sometimes maybe feel like they aren't uh, contributing as much as they should because they don't know as much as they think they should but it depends problem- on where they are on the curve well, yes it does and it depends on the personality because not everybody has that dunning-kruger curve experience not everybody but most do i think so what the, the number one thing I would say to any junior and or anybody who, who is mid-level junior, whatever, even senior, ask questions. Don't be afraid to ask questions. And if people treat you like an idiot, and if people treat you like dirt because of it, and I'm f- sorry, but there are people like that out there, then they're an arsehole. And they're not worth your time. And they're probably insecure. Everybody is always learning. I am always asking questions. Mm-hmm. And I used, I went through a stage, I remember, when I first, yeah, contracted a few years. And I went through a stage of going, I'm not getting this. I'm not understanding what's going on with this. And I had it um, with one of my recent projects as a senior. You know, I don't understand what the requirements are here. And you get down to the nitty gritty. And you know what it is? It's not me. It's that somebody, the person who's who's telling me the requirements or writing the requirements down doesn't know themselves and the further you dig and the uh. more questions you ask the the more that becomes evident and the more confident you become that right I'll have to do what I can do for now and not worry too much about it you know if well, see, people are going to blame I... me then go on I don't care you know I've got thick skin well, see, this is the thing I, I would throw out in addition to that, because, you know, you and I were like, you know, Power Rangers or whatever that Wonder Twin Kids activate cartoon thing is. We come <laughs> at it from different angles. Right. Um, and of course, I'll form a whale that plays dubstep. But anyway, you're suggesting asking questions. Absolutely. I throw out. Listen. Literally. Well. Listen. The amount of times I've gotten involved in a project where I've come in in the middle to save a project and I have heard everybody sitting there at the initial kick up kickstart meeting where I had, you know, the people trying to make certain I understood what they were looking for, the, the foundations, making certain everyone knew where their projects were, like what their roles and everything was. I had one person saying, well, we're going to have this, this, and this. And another person saying, we're going to have this, this, and this. And they had nothing. 
at Too all to do with anything. And I was just sitting there going, okay, who is really the stakeholder here? Who is my project lead here? Who am I really dealing with? And what is it you really want? Because until you figure it out, I can do nothing. Mm-hmm. Neither of you are listening to what the other person is saying. In fact, you're saying one thing, and I bet you if I reworded what you said, you'd be saying exactly what that other person is saying. And now we need to decide if that's really the truth. We need to actually boil it down. Communication is part listening and part asking questions. Listening, not planning what question you're going to ask next. Mm, and that's not a really difficult skill. Yeah, it's a really difficult skill to master. But my God, if you could. Actually, bringing it back to the start of the show, if I could teach kids anything, anything at all, it's literally how to ask a question to get to what they really want to know. Because that can be really hard finding those right words. It's not just finding the right words, though. It's (laughs) understanding the person that you're asking the question of and understanding their personality, whether they're a technical person or not. There's so many times that I ask the same question to multiple different people because they all offload it to each other. You know, oh, Jeff knows more about that and Simon knows more about that one than I do. And it's like, right, well, okay, I'll ask Simon. And Simon goes, no, it's actually Francis that knows all of that. Okay, right, I'll ask Francis. Francis gives me a little bit and I go, oh, so it's actually the first person I spoke to that I need to speak to. So I'll go back to them and then I'll have a little bit more information to ask the right question. But it's usually the same question. It's just that they... If they're a technical person, they're usually thinking 20 steps ahead and they're trying to solve all of the problems that you're going to solve in your own way and they don't really know how to let go of or how to answer it in a more abstract, requirement-driven, business-focused way. They answer it in a yeah. technical way and it's like, no, I know how to do the technical does, part. Yeah, translation is, is a thing. It, it's interesting. I think the best piece of advice, actually, I'm going to use this as my BYOM. I'm going a, I'm to a, I'm a, I'm a do that. In fact, I'm looking at the time and we do need to move into mm. the BYOM, which is where we bring our own manual into things. This is where we give a interesting fact or something that we have learned this past week, or in my case, it could have been any time within the past time since I'd last been here. I've missed you all so much. Um, But uh, just something that we've learned and we share it. And I'm going to go first because I've literally led us into this topic. My, and in fact, it was actually brought up this past week, which is why I'm going to go ahead and go with it anyway. But anyway, uh, my communications teacher, speech teacher in my university said one thing And it stuck with me and it has stuck with me and it comes back constantly. When you add one other person to a conversation or to a discussion or a topic or anything, you add one person and there's now two, you are now literally having an exchange of information. End of story. And the entire purpose of the words you speak the words you hear, or even the words you sign, if you happen to do sign language or anything else along those lines, is to get your point across to the other person. So for example, if I am trying to explain something to Chris, I know he's technical. I can speak jargon. If I'm trying to explain something to my mother-in-law, analogies work better. Because me trying to explain something to her jargon-wise will not connect. You must be willing to adapt. If this means asking that person the same question seven different ways until you find what that actual um, pathway is for them understanding what you're trying to ask or what you're trying to explain, and they get that same opportunity with you, communication's going to fall all over the place. And learn how to not get frustrated when you feel like you're repeating yourself, but you're Mm -hmm. not. You're actually finding the right words. It's not a problem if you don't understand each other. If you're speaking to somebody who speaks a completely different language, and I mean a, a spoken language, not just metaphorical, you know, that they, mm-hmm. you, you have to come up with some way of being able to communicate with them, whether it's drawing pictures or or learning each other's language in some way, which is the long haul, really, I suppose. But you still have to be able to communicate. You know, there are simple mm-hmm. things we can do, but when it comes to explaining technical things 
between technical team members, even those people who might very well be as technical as each other, they have different perspectives on it. They have different experience. You know, what if, if two C-sharp developers are talking together, one of them may know a lot more about the language and another one might know a lot more about the business requirements. And they might be talking yeah. about the same thing and coming to the same... And this happens to me all the time. Coming to the same conclusion but and agreeing, but think they're actually batting heads against each other and think they're not agreeing with each other. And it all right. it is sometimes is just figuring out what the agreement or what the actual requirement is you know and how it can be absolutely solved. and i want to respond to something that voltrack has just said um because they said i usually don't have a problem asking a question which is good it's important never have a problem asking questions they're really important but if i have to ask for the fifth or sixth time because so much stuff is just unclear to me i start to feel stupid or i think i'm starting to annoy people even if it's just because stuff is not clearly specified or documented there is a methodology I use to actually tackle this issue. I used to have this problem. I used to be completely and utterly terrified that all I was doing was wasting everybody's time, even my clients, by making certain I understood what their requirements were by rephrasing my question about 20 different times because every time I got a different answer. Anyway, <laughs> the methodology that I use is if I ask a question and I'm learning something, I listen and I see if first it clicks. If it doesn't click, I go, okay, so you're saying that this is what it is, and then it's this, but I'm missing how you got from here to here. Could you take a moment and try and explain that? Because, for example, in my case, I may very easily be able to tell someone how to lock down a server, how to harden it, but trying to explain that to someone who doesn't understand the terms I'm using, which could be technical. I mean, talking about binds file might make someone's brain explode because they don't know what a binds is. And yet if I try to explain it's how you configure a web server in order to know what to display for a domain name, they might get that. And if not, it's breaking it down further, but rephrase your question. Say, this is what I got from it. Am I close or am I often like Antarctica? Yeah. Am I with the penguins or am I here? And if they take that time and they see that you are actively listening to what they are saying, they may actually, especially if they're experienced, catch what you're missing. The amount of times I've had someone who I was asking questions to go, I know why you're not getting it. Have you ever had an experience with insert this? Or are you aware of this particular methodology or fundamental, you know, process or this new science thing or whatever? No? Okay, that's where that loss is. Let's figure that out together. If you show that you're paying attention, they'll be more willing to answer questions. If you ever, however, run into an asshole, I'm sorry, they're just assholes. I, I wish think, we didn't have any of them in this world, but we do. I think, uh, yeah, they, they, they do exist, uh, unfortunately, you know. Um, but I think <laughs> being able to recognize that and being able to humor or tolerate is also a skill that is necessary, I think. Especially I don't think humor in... is a good word. <laughs> well, no, too... You're a good little junior dev. You ask your little questions. <laughs> didn't mean like that. I just... I just I, meant being able to uh, accommodate that kind of personality because yeah. it happens. And sometimes you can even disarm them, disarm them with kindness or disarm them with um, with even sometimes it's just better to just bow down to them, make them feel like they've come up with the solution. And I, again, have to do this a lot in my job as a consultant. Even mm. one of the things I have to avoid saying on an almost daily basis with most of my clients is I told you so. But that that is a freelancer's never ever 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 absolutely use, right? because ever. that I might have said that this is the way they should do things six months ago. But the thing is it takes them six months to get to the point where they understand this massive change that I've asked them to to put in place and why it's necessary and the value in it as well. And it takes a long time sometimes. So, so I just have to put things on the back burner and let them simmer away and feed them little pieces of information and feed them little bits of... Because I, I would never... I, I could deliver training on something and, and it still wouldn't stick. The amount of times I've done that, I've delivered training to a room full of people and then 
I, you could look at it as a, a failing on my part, but people just don't listen unless they're doing something, unless they're practically working with the thing you're training them on. They, they've got no real interest in it. They might go, oh, this is cool. Oh, I like that idea. They might pick up on little bits here and there, but they're never really going to learn anything until they're actually doing something. Or they have a desire to learn. The yes. amount of times people are forced into training regimens when they really don't want to be there is an entire another story. It's humans are amazing mm. so chris what's your byob mine's a bit more boring and technical um <laughs> well this is the thing you're a very gonna... technically driven person i'm a very humanistically driven person it's not gonna it's not gonna spark much um conversation so i um i'm currently in the process of uh or, or i'm mentoring somebody at the moment uh, a junior dev and he keeps he's he's very good uh, in that he comes and asks me questions all the time and awesome. He does, and he and he and he, he's he's also had that moment of a few times. He said to me, "I feel stupid," you know. He said to me yesterday in front of you know I was in front of all the bosses and I was in that stand up and I was I was talking about um, I was talking about basically failing, you know. I failed doing what I, I I wanted to do, and I felt really quite embarrassed. And I said, "Look, you you haven't failed. You're exactly where you need to be at the end of the day. You you are learning. You do not know as much as." the senior developers on the team you don't know as much about the business and you don't know as much about the code and you don't even know some of the fundamentals around the code but every day and every week you should be picking things up right the reason that i brought the junior dev up is because he's been asking me questions that i don't know the answer to and i love that too i know and i, know, I, and I said to him i said to him the people who i'm mentoring i said to him the other day i said look you you i don't know i don't know the answer to that just give you know Keep asking questions, and I'll. Uh, luckily, I can assimilate information. I knew the mm -hmm. actual question was, "What's boxing in C sharp?" And I didn't know what the answer was because I use it all the time. It's another one of those things that happen. You know, the same with things like generics and a lot of C sharp language features that are brilliant and wonderful, and I understand how to code with them, but I couldn't explain them to you to you very well. I mean, I can <laughs> explain generics. Um, anyway, so boxing is um, now I might get this wrong. I went off and had a little bit of a read, but it's something again we do quite often in C sharp. It's when you convert an object or value type to sorry, uh, convert an convert a value type to an object. An unboxing is when you convert a object back to its value type, and it's quite an expensive process. Um, so. An example might be converting an integer to an object so you can pass it down the chain somewhere and do something with it. Right. It's not something I generally do because C sharp is quite is a strongly typed language and boxing and unboxing to me is an expensive operation and often lazy. Um, and it also doesn't. I don't particularly like doing it, but sometimes you have to do it. You know. Sometimes there is no answer. Anyway, I had to go away and learn this, and I had to. And it didn't take me long to learn. I just read the MSDN article and figured it, you know, figured it out in my head. But the thing oh, is, you knew how to look, and they used terms that you probably knew and were able to see because of the experience that you had. There's a difference between a senior looking something up and a junior looking something up. So the the interesting the interesting thing was is that I was the one who mentioned boxing in the first place. I said to him, this is, um, so you don't want to be boxing and unboxing here because this is an expensive operation, just like I just said. And he went, what's boxing? And I went, it's when you wrap brackets around a type. <laughs> I, I don't know. I don't know. I'll go and have a look. Because <laughs> I, I knew how to do it, but I didn't really know what I was doing at the time. And he said, oh, so it's like typecasting. And I'm like, no, it's not the same. Boxing and unboxing is not. It is casting in a sense, but it's. But see, that's the thing. It's he moving. gave you a response with an analogy to something he understood. Yeah. And in a way, he is right, but in a way he's not. And that's where the difference comes from experience. You're able to, it's, it's like it's like watching that darn thing on YouTube, the 11 levels of insert subject matter here. Right. And you start at the kindergarten level and you're talking about, you know, the fun things about science and how you have, you know, the planet that, you know, has a sun and we revolve around it all. And by the time you get to like level 12, you're talking about things like quantum entanglement, black holes, the latest in quantum theory mixed along with a whole bunch of other stuff. That is basically what just happened there mm. is you had a conversation with someone who went. I can relate it to this. It's exactly what you do, Chris. It is. When I when I explain something to you and you're you're not familiar with a particular topic, you always go, 
oh, so it's like this. Yes. And that right there is what I meant for you, Voltrack, by the way. That kind of questioning and answer works so beautifully in case you have to ask the same question 12 times. It's, I said I do the same thing all the time. I'm like, I'm trying to relate something. It's not even just when, I'm, when it's a technical conversation. I try and relate something that you say, something that you, you know, in your culture, in, the, in American culture, you might have a term or a, a way of doing things or, or an, you know, you might have a ceremony that you, you do in America, I don't know, that we do in the UK that's very similar, but it's just called something different or you've got some slight twists on it you know everyone celebrates christmas differently if they we have succeeded <laughs> yes, yes we that... have succeeded is it yorick this is not yorick but it is someone who i adore and who is i actually got more coming but anyway yeah <laughs> that's my ceremony yeah so i mean I, I did yeah it. <laughs> so i i learned i learned more because i still don't fully understand why I really need to use boxing and unboxing. I learned more yeah. about that this week or last week. I think I learned it, but doesn't matter, does it? But yeah, see, this is the beautiful thing about this show. And this is something I have so missed. Besides the fact that I, I adore Chris entirely and I, I hate not being able to spend time with him to learn and share and just chat. Um, is the fact that we do learn and the fact that both you and I, we stress, you don't know everything. It just doesn't happen. Always be willing to ask questions. Always be willing to learn and always be willing to dig deeper. But think, we're at the end of our show. I think if we didn't ask questions, we'd never, we wouldn't advance as the human race because nobody has the capacity individually to learn everything that ever was and learn more on top of that to advance the human race. We have to be able to document and read and ask. And, and usually it's better to hear things from an individual, isn't it? It's yeah. better to hear things face to face and speak to people than it is to read a document. As I keep saying, it depends on your learning and what, what, yeah. the way that you learn best. Let me let me let me stress that because I'm the type of person who does the best type of learning by actively involving myself in it, having a passion for why I want to know that information. I'll tell you that is the best thing I was ever taught in school: how to find passion in any subject matter, even if it is the most boring thing on the planet. If I can convince my mind that there is something really cool about this for whatever reason, I am in it to win it until I have it either absorbed or it has become part of me through osmosis. Because I, if you have a passion for something, you're just going to, you're going to go, you're going to sink your teeth in. Anyway, we're at the end of our show. Thank you to all of you in Twitch for joining us live. Thanks for everyone who's listening to the podcast in the future. Thank you to the new people who have joined us on Twitch that I haven't had a chance to meet yet. It is lovely to meet you. Indeed. And of course, to those who've been around for a while, massive hearts. And um, you can visit our website on www.dnistream.live um, for links to everything to do with the podcast. All the episodes are on there. Links to all our podcast catches, podcast platforms. We're on Spotify, which I've recently got into. If anyone listened to the show last last week, that was part of my BYOM is that Spotify is wonderful and I'm learning a lot. I'm, I'm getting a lot more... Uh, new bands and new music in my in my life which i'm very happy about because i've been stagnating for quite a few years so great yeah. uh, but we're on spotify and i found us on spotify and i've listened to a few of our episodes because it was a novelty just for a, for a laugh um how exciting is that i love that <laughs> you can, we're not just on apple no no we're not we're not um, you can also use it to contact us for any reason we have a contact form on there if you want to be a guest on the show you've got any ideas for a subject or you just want to say hi you want to Give us a compliment. Compliment Josie on her beard. Actually, I cut 20 inches off of my hair. Oh, I did notice, yeah. So I technically could if I adjust this ever so slightly. Just right. You look like you're Amish. I am now an officially a programmer. <laughs> I can finally be termed a programmer because I have a beard. I'm so proud of myself. And lastly, <laughs> do not forget to follow our Twitch channel, which is down that way over there. Um, if you haven't previously. Yes. We do hope to see you all next week, Thursday at 7 p.m. GMT on twitch.tv slash TNI stream. I will state this. If you're listening to us in the future on the podcast, maybe the idea of me showing my beard will get you to come to see us live on Twitch. We're great. We love you. We'll see you all next time.
拜。Bye.